Welcome back to Freewheeling, a podcast by Cycling Tips. I'm your host, Abby Mickey. Lauren couldn't make it this weekend, or at least she could, but since Kaylee and I are staying in the same house, I figured I could get Kaylee on and have someone to talk to face-to-face. So I have Kaylee here. Kaylee. What's up? Word. Yep. We are down here in Sedona, Arizona for the Cycling Tips Gravel Bike Field Test. We have successfully turned Abby into a gravel fiend. She was a skeptic prior. You have probably heard on previous episodes about her skepticism. But yeah, she learned how to do a fishtail skid, and that was really all it took. Now she's a, a devotee to to the gravel world. The fishtail skids really did sell me on the gravel riding. Yep, it's true. So we are here to discuss the news ahead of an exciting episode of freewheeling. The news actually for the last two weeks has been pretty positive, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, starting with some race news, Anna Vandebregen won Valencia after a long solo attack on stage two. Similar to last year, every stage was live this year, which is pretty rad. Very cool. In fact, you were, uh, saying this morning that the women's race was live and the men's race, Hotfar, was not. Yeah, I was watching the women's race of Valencia and I couldn't watch Tom's racing hot bar. Which is somewhat unique. The tables have turned. The tables have turned. For now. Indeed. (laughs) Um... Lucy Vanderhaar won the first ever, the inaugural Dubai Women's Tour, formerly Lucy Garner. She's she's a legend. She hasn't really been in the racing news for a while, but um, there wasn't a ton of top teams at Dubai, but it is a great result for her and for High Tech Products, her team that has not been on the podium for quite a while. Yep. And it's nice that the Dubai Tour now has a women's race. It's about Correct. time. In other great news, Bulls Dolman's got a new title sponsor for 2021 through 2024. We talked a little bit about this on the regular podcast, but it's such good news that we're discussing it twice. SD Works, a human resource provider, will take over the title sponsorship of the top women's team in the sport starting next year. Awesome news. Fantastic news. There was a lot of question about this. There was, you know, we, we were not sure that Bulls Dolman's would be able to find a sponsor, and the lack of a sponsor coming into this season was a big part of the reason why they were not part of the Women's World Tour. So, yeah, good news on all sorts of different fronts. Definitely. And there was a lot of um, kind of speculation about Bulls Dolmans being picked up by a men's team. Danny Stam, the team manager of Bulls Dolmans, said in a statement that he preferred not to partner with a men's team since the women's team has been so successful as an independent entity already, which is, I fully agree. It kind of gets to one of the discussions that's going to be later in the podcast, does it not? The sort of whether women's cycling is better off attaching to already established men's events and men's teams and things like that, or if it's better off forging its own path. Correct. Yeah. I This episode, the bulk of this episode will be a chat with myself and former professional writer and advocate for women's cycling, The one of the co-creators of the Cyclist Alliance, Ira Slappendell. Her and I go into quite detail about the new Why It Matters campaign by Cycling Tips. Mm-hmm. And uh, she talks a lot about how women's cycling should not tie itself to men's cycling and how we're better off as our own sport. It's a very interesting conversation. Yeah, fascinating conversation. I agree with much of that, but there's a couple, there's a couple times when I think that there are well, we don't need to go into it too much now. There, are, there are a couple time times. There's, there's, there's a time and a place for sort of essentially using the media exposure of an event that's already that already exists, 
Right. Like the Tour de France, for example. Like the Tour de France. Um, in other great news, Flanders Classics, the owners of the Tour of Flanders, Ghent Wevelgem, and Omloop Het Nieuwsblad, along with the KPMG Belgium organization, have launched a three-year plan to elevate women's cycling. They are, quote, closing the gap, which includes developing all of their races to be world tour status and the finishes of all the women's races to also be the finishes of the men's races and then have a joint podium and equal prize money. It's a really huge thing that they're trying to do. Equal prize money is very important here. These, these races have some very good prize money on the men's side and some very bad prize money at the moment on the women's side. And so if they equal that out, that's, that's a potential to, to really change the status of the races themselves, I think, as well, in the eyes of the women's peloton. Yeah, definitely. And they own, Flanders Classics owns a ton of races, like Shell de Priest and Bourbon's Appeal, I believe. They, they own a ton of races. So if they are trying to make all of their races world tour status, which means automatically that there's a bunch of rules that come into place with that, including live, live coverage and stuff like that, then that's a really big thing they're trying to do. Yeah, massive kudos to... Flanders Classics. It's been a very progressive organization in a lot of ways. They they were the first to come. They came in and they and they uh, they're, they're the owners of the Tour of Flanders. Obviously, they, they came in and they added those sort of finishing circuits to the Tour of Flanders. They've done a bunch of things that sort of made it more not only sort of more spectator friendly, but also a better business. Uh, and I think that you know this is sort of the next step for them is to really, as they say, try to close the gap between the women's races that they own and the men's races that they own. The last bit of awesome news that we have for this news segment is the Cyclist Alliance, previously mentioned uh, with Iris Slappendel, has received a $75,000 grant from the Rafa Foundation to continue what they're doing. So last year, the TCA was able to um, operate on a 7,631 euro budget, which is nothing. It's quite small. Um, and everything that they have already tried to accomplish is pretty amazing on that small of a budget, but on this new budget, they can build on what they've already done. And they have a seven point plan that they've kind of developed with this new money from the Rafa foundation. Um, the seven points they're trying to do are all, all riders receive a minimum salary, maternity leave, racing and training expenses covered, paid vacation and minimum vacation blocks, which is super important and actually people don't talk about it. All the team staff will be qualified and background checked. Another thing that is severely overlooked in both the men's and the women's pelotons, health and life insurance and standardized race safety. So it's a lot of things they're trying to do. And it's, I mean, amazing that they got this grant from the Rafa Foundation. And I think it's a it's a perfect place to be putting the money because the Cyclist Alliance is already a very effective organization on, as you said, 7,631 euros last year. Uh, and if they could do so much with so little, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what they'll do with $75,000. Most definitely. So congratulations to the Cyclist Alliance and thank you to the Rafa Foundation for your continued investment in women's cycling. We love it. And with that, no, wait, we've got bad news, too. Oh, we have bad news? There's a bad well, news section? there's not bad... <laughs> you didn't tell me there's a bad news section. There's not bad news. I was just here for the good news. No, sorry. Oh, okay. um, it's not really bad news. It's just interesting news. Tour of Chongming Island, which isn't scheduled to take place for another couple of months, it usually overlaps with the Tour of California, is postponed already due to the coronavirus. Yep, UCI just postponed all of the races that are in China, actually. So Chongming Island was the biggest one. There was... 
Taiyong Island, I think it was another one. There's, there's, there's one or two others that have been postponed due to the virus as well. And in other kind of interesting news, the t- team of the TT world champion, Chloe Dargart, has foregone a UCI team license for 2020. They saved 30 grand um, with the team owner stating that we have a very specific schedule for Chloe this year. Um, basically, Chloe is coached by Kristen Armstrong, who leading up to doing her three Olympic games where she won gold medals at all three of them. She basically didn't race on the road at all. Yep. She would race on the road, like for nationals and like maybe one or two other race and pretty much only do time trials. And it looks like they are priming Chloe to do exactly the same thing and only do a couple road races this year, only in the United States. And she's already an automatic for Tokyo. So she doesn't really need to do anything else. Um, she will be racing on the track. She has a lot of goals on the track, including the team pursuit, which is a very important event for her. Um, but I just thought it was really, really interesting that they chose to not get a UCI license after multiple years of having one, mostly because of the loss of tour California, which is the only women's world tour race in the U S and you need a UCI license to do it. But since it's gone, they don't need a UCI license. What's the point? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, the Kristen Armstrong style run up to the Olympics is, I'd say a little bit controversial, I think. And I think it's a little bit of a shame when you have a, a, a talent, the level of Chloe Digert not out there racing, but it's also effective. I mean, you know, Armstrong won three gold medals, so yeah. hard to argue against that, but yeah, just a bit, you know, it doesn't sit well with me. I feel like if you're a really good bike racer and you are, you're going to win an Olympic medal, potentially win an Olympic medal, you should be in bike races. That's what I feel like. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And I mean, she will be racing on the track, so it's not like she won't be out there, but she was unbelievable at the road race and at the worlds in Yorkshire last year. And I, I actually enjoyed watching her do that more than the TT because it was her first elite road race in Europe or not in America. And I mean, it was just really, really awesome to see her do that. And I hope that after the Olympic games, I know that this is a huge goal for her and she can most definitely win the Olympic TT. Um, but I hope that after this, she can get out on the road a little bit because Chloe is so interesting the way that she races. She's just so hungry and will absolutely turn herself inside out to win. Yeah. Really fascinating racer. So I want to see her race. I yeah. think that's as a fan, that's that's you know, that's all you can really hope for is fascinating racers to actually race their bikes. True. Maybe after Tokyo. We can hope. We can hope. So Cycling Tips launched this week an awesome campaign that is very exciting. Well, last week because this is coming out on a Monday. Yep. Yeah. We're um, very proud of it. We like it a lot. Yeah. So it is the Why It Matters campaign, which you can check out on womenscyclingmatters.com. And we talked a little bit about this in the regular episode, but as this, this podcast is a mostly women's cycling podcast, I don't want to pigeonhole myself. It's whatever Abby wants to talk about. Yeah. Um, Abby likes talking about women's racing. I do like talking about women's. (laughs) I feel like it's just very underappreciated. So we have the women's cycling matters campaign, which is really awesome. And what is our, it is what our episode is about this week. So without further ado, let's move into the episode for this week. We have an awesome chat with Iris Slappendell, who is very, very vocal and out, outspoken in the way that she speaks. She's got a lot of opinions and she is not afraid to share them. 
And then after that, we have a little bit of a couple audio clips from when Matt Deneef was down in Australia. He talked with Matt Keenan, Mariana Voss, and Brody Chapman about their views about why it matters that women's cycling has proper coverage. So without further ado. Iris. So I'm back for another episode of Freewheeling. I'm Abby Mickey, your host. And today I brought in an extra special guest. I've mentioned her a couple times on the episodes previously and joked about you tweeting at her to please come on my podcast. Um, but she's here. Finally, finally, she's here. Iris Slappendell, everyone. Applause. Insert applause here. <laughs> Iris, how you doing? Good. Thanks, uh, Abby. Yeah, I, well, I love talking to you. It's no secret, so. I know. <laughs> I have an opinion, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so before we dive into the topic of today, for anyone who doesn't know you, I just wanna, I just wanna get to know you really quickly. So, what, what's your like, one minute bio of like why you're, why you're here on this podcast, why you are involved in cycling. Um, yeah, so I, I'm I'm an ex-pro rider. I've raced professionally for 13 years uh, in in some different international teams. And since I've retired, um, I'm the co-founder of the Cyclist Alliance, which is the uh, the only independent um, women's riders union internationally. And um, I've I've been I founded that with with a bunch of other uh, riders. So in this capacity, I'm still really involved in women's cycling. And next to that, I'm um, I'm working as a commentator for Eurosport, and uh, I have my own brand of cycling apparel. But it's all cycling related, but it's <laughs> all a little bit different. Yeah. You basically you retired in twenty at the end of twenty sixteen and started full gas doing everything else. Yes, um, that's right. I haven't slept since then. No. Yep. <laughs> that's <laughs> fine. Uh, you're still going strong, so it works. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fine, yeah. It's nice. So the topic, the topic of today's episode is the campaign that Cycling Tips has just launched, and that is the Why It Matters campaign, which is basically we're – we want to start a discussion about why it matters that women's cycling has more coverage. And the reason I wanted to talk to you is because you know, the sport you've been on both sides of the sport now, cause you commentate. So you literally cover racing and you've also been a rider, you know, you've been around for a long time. So you kind of have seen the sport in its ebbs and flows and you can, you're involved with where cycling is going in the future. So I think that you're a really interesting voice to kind of discuss this with me. So basically we, what we want to talk about is why does it matter? I want to start by asking you what inspires you in cycling and, and what do you love about it? Yeah. What inspires me is I think the cycling as a sport. So it's a, it's a tactical game. It's a really tough sport and, it's a sport like for me it it's also the camaraderie of being in a team racing with your teammates um and i think what i love about it most is the personalities in cycling and then yeah for me especially women cycling because i know them the best and i think for me um 
cycling is just really full of very interesting characters and women with very different backgrounds. And when I look back to my career, it's it's those you know, it's those people that become your friends or that you've just got to know through your sport, which um, which still inspire me to stay involved in uh, women's cycling right now. I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, one of the reasons that I love the sport so much is because of the people I've met and the teammates that I've that I've kind of acquired along the way. I mean, you and I were teammates on United Healthcare in 2016, and we have remained friends to this day, which is it's pretty cool. Like otherwise, we never would have met other without the sport of cycling. You're in the Netherlands, and I'm in the United States. We're like on opposite ends of the earth, and yeah, it's cool. As far as coverage right now of racing what do you think is going well like what do you think that the that in general like across all medias and whatever what do you think is going well for the coverage of women's cycling well I think first of all is the fact that um, teams and riders are creating their own content and uh, you see that there's an there's a definitely an increased individual reach for female riders so you see there are a few riders like like Lizzie Deignan or Annemiek van Vleut or Tiffany Cromo who have like a huge reach through their through their social channels and you see that teams do create their own videos their own blogs their own articles so they're they're very much creating their own content and I think that's working well because they show um, yeah like like I just said what inspires me uh, in cycling is the the characters the personalities in the sport and riders and teams are able to show that um, but of course this also um, this is kind of a replacement for traditional coverage um, so because you can't because teams cannot force, um, race organizers to show the races they sort of create their own content around the racing um, well the second thing I've, I think with what uh, proves that if you actually show women cycling that, it, that people watch it so I would say what is currently working well is just showing, a, showing it on TV or uh, streaming it um, for example, looking to the Flemish TV um, when they started broadcasting women's cyclocross to to a few years ago, um, the viewing figures they increased really rapidly, and I think at the moment it's around 70, 80 percent of the viewers of the men's race also watch the women's race, and I think there was a race in uh, Neil in Belgium in December which was better watched. Um, where the women's race was better watched than the men's race. Um, yeah, in Belgium. So, I mean, for me, that is, that is, that's the country which is maybe the most traditional. So, um, so that is the proof that if you show it, people will actually see it. I was just before this conversation checking the viewing figures of Dan van Reet on the um, so he's um, an analyst of all um, um, viewing rates. Um, you should definitely follow him on Twitter, by the way, because he, he has this very great facts all the time. Um, and, you, you know, even World Championships road race, 
the viewing fig- figures are uh, increasing in women's cycling and it's coming very close to the men's figure. So that's just a fact. I mean, you can't really discuss a fact. If you show it, people watch it. So, yeah, that's working in my opinion. I, I definitely agree with you. One of the biggest things for me about about it is getting to know the riders. And, and yeah, like you said, the more the races are shown, the more will people will watch them because women's racing is so exciting. So, I mean, this year there's a new rule with the UCI races that there has to be 45 minutes of, of live coverage at the end. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So hopefully that means this year we'll get, we'll get more live coverage of the races on TV. Yeah, I, I think we will. I mean, for me, working for uh, Eurosport Netherlands, um, I see already that they will that they they will be showing more uh, races this year. I think also because they see that there is an actual actual interest um, from the viewers. Um, I mean, still on this regulation, it doesn't say it has to be internationally broadcasted or it has to be broadcasted on a on a, um, a channel like like a national channel, it can also be like a crappy live stream. Um, mm. there, there's yeah, no like Cadell Evans' Great Ocean Road Race. That was awesome. I mean, I enjoyed yeah, it. <laughs> but, but I mean, yeah, we, we, we saw that race on via Skype, but we we showed it on Eurosport. Um, I mean, the fact that, that it was a race on, on like, that was the weather conditions, that, that had nothing to do with with they were not able to to um, show it on TV. They were, mm-hmm. they were not able to show it because because of the weather conditions. So I, I think that's a different story. But for sure, yeah, no, I think um, yeah, we have to we ha- it has to be shown and people have to learn that there are more riders in the peloton than Annemiek van Vleuten and Lizzie Dijkman. Um So there will be you know that people actually know who they're watching. Um, because these two riders have an incredible story, but there's like 50 other riders with an incredible story as well. And as a commentator, I really enjoy telling, uh, telling the viewers about, you know, personal facts or, you know, more background things that, that I know of riders. And I think that's something that creates, um, yeah, that, that, that creates more fans, what do you think is not working in terms of of coverage for women's cycling? Well, I think um, because there is so just such a tiny fraction of race days that are actually um, available to see, people just don't know w- what they are looking at if if they can see it. Like, and and it's it's actually exactly what we just discussed. Um, it's more than just uh, the main players uh, of the sport that we already know, like Voss and Van Vleuten and Dijkman and, and all of them. There's a whole peloton of riders. And also because there is, you know, we have the World Tour now. And I think the, um, the idea behind it, that there is like a league that will be shown hopefully worldwide, there is some kind of um, narrative in it. Um, I think I'm not really sure if that's the idea of the UCI, but that should be the 
the plan behind it. I mean, there there should be yeah, there should be a storyline through the season so fans know like like okay, we go from the spring classics into the grand tours to and then the the world championships will be like like the um, the pinnacle at the end uh, of the season, and I think for now that's not really the case. It's just like, oh great, they're 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 streaming a race somewhere, or oh we can watch a race in in Belgium or the Netherlands on TV, but what are we actually watching? We don't really know, and um, and I think there is still a, a big step to make, uh, and and. Honestly, this is exactly the same of men cycling. Like you can also you can watch men cycling every weekend on TV, but most of the time you also don't have a clue what you're actually watching, except when you're a really really diehard fan. And and also after the Tour de France, no one really watches men cycling anymore. So I think there the narrative is also a little bit uh, lost. Um, so that comes to my second point, actually, that I think what is not working is that we, we should not copy men's racing or men's cycling. We should, you know, we should create our own narrative, our own story. Um, and I think that is a little bit, um, the, um, you know, I think many stakeholders in the sport, they are trying to copy the model of men cycling into women cycling. And I think that's, it's not necessarily a mistake, but I think it's a missed opportunity because I think with women cycling, you can just make it so much better and yeah, do it different. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, I mean, I guess the one thing that kind of stands out for me that, that is an, a little bit of a narrative, um, in women's cycling that men's cycling doesn't have is the whip, the women's world tour leaders Jersey. Yeah. Um, which it's really interesting to watch how the Jersey, cause there is a, an actual Jersey that the leader of the women's world tour races in. And so we, we see that we physically see the Jersey change hands between races as the world tour goes on which is really interesting. It's a very interesting story, like storyline to watch that doesn't really get a lot of coverage. And I don't think people fully understand how the point system works because there's also different, different points for one day races versus stage races and, and what have you. And it always gets interesting to me at the end of the year when the leader of the women's world tour, like say they have a buffer of enough points and they can miss the last race. It's very interesting to me, but that is, that is a nice storyline that that there is in women's cycling. Yeah, I think there is a nice storyline in there, and like you say, and I think also like I just mentioned, um, you know, maybe the idea behind the World Tour as being an actual tour or league is great. I think it just maybe needs a little bit more time to shape uh, because now there's like a pretty heavy weight on the Spring Classics, um, so you will most of the time see the same kind of rider um, winning the jersey at the end of the season. And then also, I think what is confusing is that if you're in a stage race, um, uh, you wear also the leader's jersey of the stage race, which is very often the same person. So you have like two pink 
pink jerseys in a race or you have <laughs> yeah. the leader's yeah. jersey or you have the leader of the world who wearing the leader's jersey of the race so there's no leader's jersey anymore and then there's the young riders leaders jersey in uh in the world tour and in the stage race so that makes it a little bit confusing and then i think in general now riders don't really find it super important um to win the world tour yeah maybe they find it important at the end but it's i don't really maybe 10 years ago a rider could really say at the start of the season like this year i want to win the world cup you know when it was still a world cup and now you never hear someone saying like well my aim for the for the season is to win the world tour it's more like a bonus for having a very consistent and a very good year yeah it's definitely interesting when the giro happens and there's a lot going on in the Jersey situation. I'm, I don't, I don't fully back the women's world tour leaders jerseys. Cause there are, like you said, there's more than one. There's the young rider there's, which is blue and there's the leaders, which is purple, but the idea behind it, I, I, maybe it helps make it more linear throughout the season, kind of the racing, but but yeah, I do. I do. I agree with you about it gets confusing. <laughs> yeah. So no, I think, I think you should, you should really, um, uh, really reform cycling or women's cycling. And then, and then that's, that's two things that's making it more understandable and getting a narrative through the season, uh, created in the sport. And secondly, make it, like easily accessible like um and and look beyond traditional tv like um manage and and market the the league that you're uh, created or or if that's a world tour or another league make it known to the people what they're actually watching how the calendar is formed um and use that as a as a season long uh, broadcast product that is not just randomly available on national TV channels, but can be watched, I don't know, by su- subscription packages or on demand or uh, on um, a dedicated internet channel or, you know, there's so much more um, opportunities. And if you look to other sports, that's, I think that's why other sports have become very successful, like like the serve league, for example. If there was an increase in coverage of women's cycling, and I mean cycling, women's cycling across the board, not just specifically racing, who benefits the who benefits from from the coverage increase? Well, you know, for for me working for for the union, I I will always look like uh, look to the fact like if it's will it help the riders? And I think an increase of coverage will help the sport because it will get better known. It will get uh, more interesting for sponsors and therefore the riders and the teams or the teams and therefore the riders will always benefit from the fact that it's more, um, that there's more coverage. Um, But just like I said before, in the long run, I think there's a bigger opportunity than just making it more attractive to sponsors and therefore uh, the riders will will benefit from it. In the long run, 
we have to look for um, for a system that it will actually make the sport more sustainable and that teams are not any more reliable on those sponsors. Um, so I think in women's cycling, there is still an opportunity to do something with the rights of the women's racing, uh, have teams being stakeholders of the world tour or another league or uh, create a new league. I think, I think for me, that is the future of uh, women's cycling. And that is, at that point, the riders will, will, will really benefit from it. And yeah, I don't know. Do you understand what I mean? <laughs> I yeah, totally. That, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the obvious, the obvious answer to me that I, I agree with you on is the rider's benefit because increased coverage means that the fans actually know who the riders are, like you were saying in the beginning, and they follow them. They can follow them throughout the year. They can, you know, follow their, they, they become fans of the individual riders and it's more than just the big names. Um, but I think that really the, the answer to this question in my eyes is who doesn't benefit because the riders benefit, the sponsors benefit, the fans benefit, the media benefits everyone. I think there is like no, there's no one who doesn't benefit from an increased coverage of women's racing. And you could maybe argue that men's cycling doesn't benefit, but I think that people who are fans of the sport, I mean, it, it would just be an added. Uh, I think you're making a, 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 like a small thinking mistake here because yes, um, the fans are important, but the whole broken system of cycling is that a fan is actually not paying the riders. Uh, they don't buy a ticket to watch the race. So, you know, that, that, that's the, um, for me, that is the key to, uh, to really have, have to really having a sustainable, model for cycling you have to get the, the fans paying to watch the races and not buying a ticket but buy a su subscription to a channel so they can follow all year their their league and the money from the sub subscription actually has to end up at the teams and not at um, at the the uci or um or the 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 broadcaster or whoever yeah. there has to be a part also floating back to the team so they're not only depending any anymore on those sponsors so yes of course in the short run um everyone will uh everyone will benefit from the fact that people are going to show women cycling but at the long at the long run you have to we have to create a model that is not depending on uh just a few rich guys out there who think, you know, who want to spend their, their money on a cycling team for one or two years. I so definitely agree. They, yeah. One of, one of my biggest pet peeves, um, is watching a race free online. Like when you, when people, uh, like find a free stream on 
various websites that kind of hack into Eurosport or whatever and broadcast it free. It's like one of my biggest pet peeves because I pay for flow bikes um, for a reason because flow bikes in the U.S. is probably the best coverage of of women's racing definitely they show a lot of the women's racing and i'm happy to pay for that but i agree with you that it would be really really beneficial for the the racing to for the racing to be covered like for the the money that i'm paying to go into the pocket of the teams because that's how other sports are modeled that way where the broadcasting, the money from the, from broadcasting, from people subscribing to the things, hockey comes to mind specifically. So in the U S when you subscribe to watch hockey, the money goes directly to the team that you're watching. Basically like you pick your favorite team and the money goes, and I don't know exactly how it works, but I do know that like when I pay for a subscription to watch the Avs games in the U S my money is going to the, at least some of my money is going to the avalanche. And so I'm happy to pay for that. And I agree with you. There should be a model in which the money is going to the teams because that's, that's important. I agree with you on that point. And I think there are different models that, that you can discuss. And I think, um, I think there's the opportunity look to other sports who are doing it in, in, in a more successful way than cycling is doing right now. And there are loads of examples out there. Um, and I think that's also the future, you know, I, I think the model that cycling is using right now is a, maybe a little bit outdated. Like I said, like the, the Tour de France is the pinnacle for men's cycling and it's the only race that's, I think, hugely watched. Um, and, and in general, the viewing figures are declining for, for men's cycling. So yeah, there is, there is, we have to look to different uh, broadcasting models, but maybe also different different ways of of racing with um, you know and and that and I think that's again is an opportunity of women cycling because the races are shorter and most of the times more aggressive. Um, yeah, I think I think we should not we again also in in racing we shouldn't try to copy men's cycling, but. Um, maybe men's cycling should copy women's cycling a little bit more um, in in making the races short and aggressive, or or trying different different kinds of race models, or you know using real time opportunities in in um, broadcasting. You know, there's there's so so many possibilities out there to kind of like wrap it all up and sum it up into one question, which is basically what our campaign is trying to, trying to prove a point. Um, why, why is increasing the coverage of women's racing important aside from like kind of money situations and, uh, the, the structure of the racing and everything, which we kind of got into today as well. But just like bottom line, why is it important for there to be coverage of women's racing? Because it will increase the value of the sport and this will flows back to the riders as well. And it will therefore also improve the working, their working conditions. Their, it will increase their, their uh, you know, finally it can 
this will help um, riders to have a proper, to make a proper living out of uh, cycling. And, you know, for me, uh, working for the Cyclist Alliance, that's one of our main aims, like getting those working conditions in place for the riders and therefore coverage is a very, very important um, tool or a way a way of uh, getting that in place. And, and kind of like what we talked about in the very beginning, it's, I believe it's important to have coverage that's not, we're not just talking about live coverage of the races, which is incredibly important. And I think what every single rider is calling for, um, as far as how to improve the sport. Um, but I think it's also really, really important to cover the women in the sport. Like you were saying, there are so many, so many interesting stories other than, um, just the couple big names that everybody knows. There's so, so many women in the sport that have amazing stories. So I think what, is really important about the coverage of women's racing and, and an increase in coverage of women's racing is that there's an increase in coverage of the women racing, not just, not just the actual physical racing, but, and also just an increase in coverage of women in the sport too, because for example, like you have an incredible story of, of how you're trying to change the sport and what you're doing. I know Carmen small has a really incredible story about her exit from the sport and her move into being a director. I mean, there's so many women in the sport that have amazing, amazing stories. That's not just the, the actual racing, which is amazing. Like women's racing is so exciting, but, but yeah, there's all, there's so much more that needs to be covered and it's important. It's important that the names are known because when it comes, yeah. Yeah, no, I think it's important. The names are known. The stories are known. And I think, also for the growth of women cycling, it's important because you know young girls also wanna watch TV or uh, you know wanna check those kind of movies from Anamik or Lizzie on YouTube, and they also want they also should think like, hey, I wanna be a pro cyclist when I grow up. So I think for for the development of the sport, it's really important to to have the coverage of the races, but also the coverage of, uh, of the women racing. Yeah. Which kind of moves actually into our next interview, which was, is with Matt Keenan, who's a commentator down in Australia. And one of the things that he said in his interview that really stuck with me was, um, he wants his daughter to know that she has equal opportunity to his son when it comes to sport and I mean life, but also like if there's equal coverage of women's cycling to men's cycling, like the daughters growing up will, will see that and see that there's, well, you need, there's a future there. uh, Abby, I think that's, that's the whole point. We all want uh, role models. And I think it's, it's really important for, uh, for young girls or young athletes to have a, to, to see somewhere someone in the sport that they, they can identify with. So, uh, yeah. Well, I'm and I think women's cycling that. is like chock full of role models. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's hear from Matt.
The entire cycling community benefits from an increase in the coverage of women's cycling. I grew up in a family where everybody played tennis. My mum and dad played tennis. My mum was better than my dad. So one of my first sporting heroes was actually my mum. And the biggest sporting rivalry that we had in my house was actually Martina Navratilova versus Chris Evert. That was the big rivalry. And as a kid growing up, I saw that exactly the same way as I saw McEnroe versus Lendl. Exactly the same. And they had equal prize money from the late 70s at the US Open. And as a result of that, I didn't see any difference between the men's game or the women's game. And that's where cycling needs to get to. Because of that, you can see that Serena Williams is as big a global sporting star as a lot of the male athletes are. In fact, Serena Williams is a bigger sporting star than any cyclist on the planet. And that's the way it should be, regardless of gender. Another thing that we need to do is at the moment we call it the Tour of Flanders and we call it the Women's Tour of Flanders, or we call it the Tour Down Under and the Women's Tour Down Under. If you go to tennis again as an example, it's Wimbledon, the men's and the women's. We should call it the Tour of Flanders, this is the men's race and this is the women's race. It shouldn't be the feminine or the women's edition, it is just the Tour of Flanders or it is just the Tour Down Under, that's the men's event and that's a women's event. At some point we're going to arrive here in Adelaide and I'll be asked the question, who's going to win the Tour Down Under? And I'm going to say, I think that Rowan Dennis will win the men's race and perhaps Sarah Gigante will win the women's race and we'll talk about them the same way. Covering women's cycling matters because I want my daughter to see that what she does is equal to what my son does. I am Marianne Vos, racing for a CCC lift team uh, and I've been riding since I was 6, 32 now and happy to uh, still be able to be pro. For me, cycling has, has been a big part of my life. Um, I have been racing since I was little and uh, has all be, always been part of my daily routine. Well, as a kid, I never thought I was going to be pro, a full-time pro rider. Uh, I just loved to ride my bike and uh, wanted to be a doctor. But then later on, um, at the juniors, I found out I might have some talent that might bring me further than I would ever, ever reckon. And um, yeah, since then, yeah, it has been, uh, I have had the opportunity to stay in and race. Um, and yeah, it has brought me so much that not only uh, results, not only medals, not only uh, titles, but for the most, I think, uh, personal growth to um, explore, uh, to meet people um, and also to build on who you are. I think for me cycling is, uh, has made me who I am right now and yeah, uh, I'm grateful for that. They always say that sports is a very egoistic or egocentric uh, thing in life and I've always enjoyed riding my bike but I felt this the same. Yeah, you, just race from A to B, you want to win, but who else uh, do you help? What's the meaning for the world? Um, and of course, it's fantastic when you feel that others get motivated or inspired by what you do. And that's a little bit of giving back what you get, get from the sport. 
and it has never really been the goal to be a role model or to uh, be there and um, to force other people on the bike. I mean, if people want to ride their bikes and see uh, the passion for me and get inspired by that, I'm very happy. And yeah, it's women, kids, but for me in general, everybody uh, should try. And if they like it, feel the, f the same passion and freedom that I, I feel when riding my bike. Well, since I came in in 2006, um, there is a, has been a big change in the coverage of women's cycling. Um, so that's not such a long time, but I've seen the growth of the, of the sport uh, and the media attention has, has grown huge. So it uh, has been a, a very important change. I think the teams are also picking up. It's, uh, at the moment, yeah, the level is really high. It's getting more and more professional. And at some stages, uh, yeah, there is equal opportunities and not everywhere. So that's still growing. Um, and I think for the fan base and also for the sponsors, it's very important uh, to get this attention. Uh, I don't think any of the girls is racing to be famous or racing to get this attention, um, but to bring, bring out the sport, to bring out the beauty of the sport and to be able to show the people um, what is really going on, not only at the finish, but also before, around the races, um, what it takes to get there. Uh, that's a message that is very important to get to bring out. And if that reaches the people, I'm sure um, yeah, that very, very many people will be uh, amazed by uh, what cycling gives. The reason why women's cycling coverage matters is because people, uh, yeah, is if people see what is going on, uh, if see, people see what women put into the sport, they, yeah, they see it's that all the hard efforts that go into it, um, yeah, that only that will pay off. And um, I think by only looking at results or maybe a picture of the finish, what was 10 years ago, maybe the only thing that was brought out, that doesn't tell a story. And I think to engage with more people and to get a bigger fan zone to get more sponsors involved it's very important that this stories uh, has been told so people can identify with the riders maybe identify with teams and feel uh, that they're part of this cycling world so um, and this is for me it's not about feminism or whatever it's just about bringing out the beauty of the sport Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of freewheeling i'm abby mickey your host and uh just to kind of recap the why it matters campaign you can check out what we are all about with this hashtag why it matters at womencyclingmatters.com we kind of break it down into a couple steps that you can do to help share why it matters. Step one is consume, share, and engage with basically the content that is being put out. And that's not just by us. There are other organizations out there, other media outlets out there that have amazing coverage of women's racing and women in sport and women on bikes and everything. Um, Vox Women does a really, really good job and they've been around for a while 
purely cover, covering women's cycling. They don't cover anything else. And they have some awesome blogs and stuff by the riders. They have a podcast there. They do great stuff. The cycling podcast feminine is a one once a month podcast episode by the cycling podcast where they cover something having to do with women's cycling. And they are really, really good about getting the women in the sport to talk. So they're an awesome outlet. Cycling news does a bunch of coverage of women's racing. Basically you just go to those people and consume what it is that they are coming out with about women's cycling. Um, and us, we do a good job too. I think so. I'm not biased. Step number two is support the supporters. So basically there's a ton of brands out there that do an amazing job of having women's products of sponsoring women's racing. So brands like Trek, who has one of the best women's teams in the Peloton, Trek Segafredo, Canyon, who's been backing Canyon SRAM since it started and is a huge supporter of women in sport, in cycling. Zwift is massive when it comes to women's cycling. They have the the Zwift Academy where they put one female onto the Canyon SRAM team every year. Um, Rafa, who's a, t- a co-sponsor in Canyon SRAM. SRAM, who used to be the title sponsor, or not the title sponsor, but a huge sponsor, a huge supporter in uh, the Tour of California. So basically support the supporters, support the brands who support women's cycling, um, which, you know, sponsorship works. Sometimes, most of the time, sponsorship works. Step number three is to follow the characters. This is by far my favorite step because I I know a lot of these women. I know how amazing they are, how great a people they are. Basically, just follow them on social media, tweet at them, tell them you love them, follow their racing, make sure to keep track of them and what they're doing. I think that women in particular are just really, really good at being vocal on social media and just showing who they really are, which is, I, is super important. Just, it's all very important anyway. So those are the three steps that we kind of outline in why it matters. Um, and that is, that is our episode for this week. Thank you so much for listening and have a great two weeks before I'm back. 